welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm glad to be back in not nearly as long of a break as it took last time. So getting back in the groove of things, we've got some uh, interviews lined up. So I think we're going to be in good shape heading into fall. A uh, couple quick announcements before we get on to our discussion. Uh, first of all, I want to do a, a shout out for an event coming up uh, hosted by two of our uh, podcast friends. Uh, two uh, two guys that have been on the podcast in the past. One is uh, Jack Polner with a Mindful Homestead. He was episode 19, if you want to learn more about him. And then Brian Wells at 3B Farms. He was episode 53. So the two of those guys are getting together. They're both uh, New Englanders. So they're getting together and they formed the HONE, or Homesteaders of New England. And they're doing a mini conference on September 10th. Uh, and 11th of 2022 coming up soon and I believe the tickets are only $25 for the weekend and they're going to be talking about homesteading Um, pastured piggery of course is going to be part of that and we talked about all those elements as it pertains to a New England slant so kind of this colder climate a harsher winters type situation. So I really like the way they're approaching this kind of addressing it to that area so if you guys are from that area or maybe you're um, colder climates in in either Canada or um, northern uh, Midwest or um, those type of things where you deal with those colder climates, this would be something for you. So uh, check that out. I believe it's in New Hampshire. Um, I'm going to leave details, the link in the show description so you guys can check that out and um, sign up if you want to go. Sounds like it'd be a neat situation. If that wasn't a 16-hour drive for me, I, I would definitely be there. A couple other announcements. I uh, just want to remind everyone our Facebook group, The Pastured Pig, is growing. We've had some good discussion going on there recently. So be sure to check that out. You just have to answer a simple little question and I'll let you in. And just a reminder of the Patreon out there. So if you want to support the podcast and, and help us uh, continue to provide these episodes and, and try to grow to our next benchmark, uh, for, when we get to 40 supporters, we'll do our next level benchmark. And um, and then some of the information we have out there in the uh, in the Patreon behind the paywall. And just recently, we had uh, Tanner Spurlock share his data Excel spreadsheet of how he tracks his data on his farm. So uh, that's available for you all. And I wanted to say that here in the next two weeks, we'll be releasing um, a podcast about the importance of a good cut sheet and detailing that. And I'm going to provide my editable uh, cut sheet uh, to our Patreon supporters, and that'd be something you can go in and simply make changes, but it has not only details about the cuts, but also uh, details for your customers. So it kind of explains certain things, has some of the uh, CYA stuff on it. So it's it's something that you can take and edit it real easy to change out your information and tweak it how you need to tweak. So I want to make that available for our Patreon people as well. So look forward to that. That'll actually be our next episode that we have ready to go out, I believe. That's the plan at least. And uh, lastly, talking about interviews, um, I finally, so where I'm recording right now, I'm recording finally at the home office. We've got our Starlink lined out. I think everything's going to be good there. Had a lot of tests done. I appreciate those of you all that had had, uh, 
uh, volunteered to be guinea pigs as we tested this. And I did have actually one of my guinea pigs turned out to be a live recording that we did. And it'll be an episode coming up at some point. And uh, that was with a gentleman in Christchurch, New Zealand. So talk about a test. And it worked really well, other than I think we had maybe two little data blips where we dropped out for a couple seconds over the course of a 48-minute conversation. It did really, really well. So very happy with that. So what we did, that, that opens up some doors here. So now we're talking Zoom. Uh, we use Zoom for that one because the uh, actually doing voice over IP was a little too dodgy coming uh, that far across the world, I guess. But Zoom worked perfectly. So what's exciting about that, something I've been wanting to do ever since I started this podcast, is do multiple people in an interview. So have a um, almost like a forum discussion as a, a roundtable or something like that. So I'm anxious to uh, to look into that. Maybe reaching out to some of you all that have been on the podcast already, so I know some details about your farm, and see if we could um, if we can get everything to align. Have multiple people on, and kind of do a core discussion where we drill down deeper on specific topics and things. So look for that. Or if you've got some ideas that you would like to see in a roundtable type discussion, give me a shout, and we'll jump into that. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Grant Estrade, and he's with Laughing Buddha Nursery down in Rio, Louisiana. And uh, what's interesting about this interview is you're going to hear, we're going to talk, there's some discussion near the end about an event that he has coming up at Polyface Farm. And you realize that, hey, Troy, you're releasing this podcast after that event had happened. Well, that was on purpose. Um, the, um, the event uh, was postponed. Uh, Grant had to reschedule it because of, uh, of signups and some other issues there, but he is planning on continuing to do this. He is uh, going to get another date set. Um, so if you if you find interest in what he's talking about, you may want to reach out to him, and I'll have his contact information in our uh, show description as well. Reach out to him, let him know that you're interested because um, that will help him uh, kind of reschedule a date for this. So, um, so when you hear that, just know that that event is not taking place in August that it has uh, been rescheduled or it's on the on the list to be rescheduled new date has not yet been set but he is planning to reschedule that so that's kind of why I delayed the podcast I didn't want to be uh, confusing there I didn't want to edit out all the details of it because I think it's still interesting to hear what he's talking about and what the the plan of the event is especially since he plans on uh, actually doing it at some point but uh Grant has an interesting approach to composting with using pigs, and he talks about in Louisiana some of the issues he has with uh, p- uh, pags on uh, pags <laughs> pigs on pasture and open paddocks. That's that's a mouthful. Pigs pasture paddocks. So uh, he he's using them for composting, which I really liked his approach to that. But I'm not going to spoil any of the surprise. I'm going to let him get in and tell you about it, and I'll catch you guys on the tail end of the interview. <laughs> Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Troy McClung. Excited to have with me today Grant Estrade from Laughing Buddha Nursery all the way down in Louisiana. Uh, so welcome, Grant. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. A little uh, steamy down in Louisiana right now, isn't it? Oh, man. Yeah, you know, summer came a little early. We were getting 90s at mid-May. Normally doesn't happen until end of May. Um, and so, yeah, so it's going to get steamy. We're ready for it, though. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. You, you, know, you, can't be, uh, you can't be frail in Louisiana. You can't complain about the heat you know, if you live in Louisiana. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, the heat's one thing. It's the humidity. You know, it's like changing all your clothes 
three times a day because you're yeah. sweating because the humidity is like 95 percent. but yeah it's part of the deal yeah 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 as a guy that wears glasses has worn glasses all of his life humidity really sucks because you just live you live most of the summer in a fog <laughs> oh yeah 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 right you got to keep like your glasses outside so they're not getting fogged up as you go in and out you know yeah. right Right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. So let's let's start here because there's there's actually a lot of stuff I know we want to cover because um, yeah, Grant's got a um, got a lot of stuff going on here. But let's let's first talk about. Tell me a little bit about Laughing Buddha Nursery. What it's about and, and, and kind of what you guys have going on down there. Well, you know, it's um, we've we've been at it for about twenty years now. You know, right at about nineteen and a half years, I opened up. Uh, a retail garden store, Laughing Buddha Nursery, and you know things have changed. You know for sure. Uh, we we used to focus on you know helping folks have their own uh, vegetable garden. You know a lot of the garden centers weren't specializing in that, so we decided to do that, and that kind of turned into um, having a garden soil and composting business because you know people would call and they were like, well, we want to put a vegetable garden and we need good soil. And honestly, when I opened up the the store I hadn't really thought about that and so uh so we it, it turned into a you know part of the business is uh selling that that bulk garden soil and that turned into a whole another business that i had gotten involved in with some large-scale composting operations and, and in other smaller locations and uh, and now you know we've kind of cycled out of doing the gardening supplies uh, we still do the compost but now laughing buddha nursery really should be called laughing buddha market uh, because now it is effectively a local foods grocery store. Uh, we sell our own farm products through there, uh, but we also work with about 20 other producers, you know, reselling everything from produce, you know, to honey to ferments, you know, to whatever might be available locally from other farmers. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's what Laughing Buddha Nursery is. It's a kind of a garden store, but mostly a grocery store these days. Yeah. So, and explain to our listeners. The fact that you have that many uh, farms that are providing uh, produce and products for your store, what's the demographic around it? Are you guys reaching into a major metro area? Yeah, yeah, good question. So we're, we're in Metairie, which is the suburb of New Orleans. We're mm-hmm. about eight miles as a crow flies from downtown New Orleans. So we're, we're you know, the, the, the store, the brick-and-mortar store is on a major thoroughfare. Uh, surrounded by houses and, and small businesses. So we're definitely in a metro area. And that, you know, works out both ways because we've got the customer base there, but also all these other farms come in to sell to farmers markets or to restaurants. And so they're they're already coming into New Orleans. So it, it really creates a really nice hub so they can hit us on the way in or on the way out of town to supply us with, uh, with the goods that they're selling us that we're reselling. Oh, that's great. So, so they still get to do their markets. They kind of still get to do their direct consumer stuff, but they recognize the benefit in having an established brick and mortar there in a key area that can be open. I assume you guys are open five or six days a week in that situation. Uh, we are. Yeah, that's right. We're open five days a week, standard hours. We're closed Sunday, Monday, you know, open Tuesday through Saturday. And then, uh, yeah, sometimes we'll get a call and they say, hey, we didn't sell this at the farmer's market. You know, can we drop this off? You know, yeah. so we'll work with them on that. So, yeah, it's definitely a win-win for everybody. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's let's drill down a little bit and talk about pigs. How, how long have you been raising pigs and what, what kind of got you into that to begin with? Well, you know, I, um, you, you, I've been thinking about doing a farm business for a long time. We've only had the farm for seven years now. 
but I got pigs, oh geez, like 12 years ago or 14 years ago. I can't even remember. But anyway, but we started with uh, some guinea hogs uh, actually at the store in Metairie. The store had enough of an outdoor uh, yard area where we had a hoop house and we sold plants and all that kind of stuff. So I built like an old school um, raised wooden floor, you know, little hog barn. And so I got a boar and two sows. And his guinea hogs are just great pigs. I mean, they're, they're small. They're super easy keepers. And we actually had pigs back there for, uh, for several years. Um, and that was, that was the beginning of like, oh, man, pigs are really cool. You know, and I mean, you know, the, the thing I love about pigs is, you know, you know of course, we feed them the, the purchased pig feed. Uh, but, you know, they're omnivores, they eat all kinds of stuff. And so they're definitely the garbage disposals. You know, if you've got extra produce or, you know, plants that you're pulling up or weeds, you know, it's really nice to have those pigs in that yard to throw all that stuff to. And so I just fell in love with the pigs, you know, for all the reasons that, that people love them. And uh, we did get out of doing them for a while. But then when we bought the acreage, uh, which is now the farm now, you know, that's when I was like, you know, I think it's time to get some pigs again. And we started talking about doing a farm business and, and uh, here we are today, you know, so now we're doing, you know, fire to finish with uh, not guinea hogs, but, you know, we're doing mixed breed now. Uh, but the pigs are, man, the pigs are really one of my favorites. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, let's talk about, um, we want to drill down even further with uh, a unique approach you have with compost and the pigs, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, pigs, um, on use on the farm. So obviously you're, you're raising them, uh, for their meat uh, to sell at the store, but are you doing anything there regeneratively with them? Um, I know looking at some of the pre-screening stuff that that farm was row cropped at one point. So how are they, how are you utilizing them on the property? Yeah, so we we they've been them and the goats. We we all uh, eat goats. I mean, they they've done a lot with the brush. The goats have, you know, the pigs have just been. I mean, they've really been able to go in the areas and really help develop some pasture in some areas. I mean, they really are that initial, you know, plow. You know, you know, break the the clay pan a little bit. Uh, we've used them to get rid of some invasive plants on the farm uh, that have like a rhizome type root system. And so they're they're really like if you need an army to go out, you know, to your initial wave, they're great for that. And so um, they've been really, really important, you know, with that, you know. And so, you know, as we what we found with our rainfall, we've got clay soil. You know, we get 50 every year we get 50 ish inches of rain every year and so you know we do need to be careful on how we're utilizing them you know so if you're in a rocky soil 30 inches of rain a year man you can really hit the ground very hard with the pigs um it's it's pretty forgiving with that you know with us they'll dig small ponds that's yeah. you know that <laughs> will fill with water and so we um defined areas of woods where we we keep the pigs you know we're never gonna go through the effort of removing stumps and trees in that area right so that that's de designated pig area um and then we've kind of gotten away from using them on pasture though just because if we have the pigs out there and you know we'll get rain you know we'll get a three inch rain that's not uncommon and that you know that happens and the pigs are in an area and we don't have an opportunity to put them in a higher spot or get them picked up real quick they, they can really kind of cause some damage that i gotta go back and fix and so uh so we still rotate them in designated wood areas 
Uh, but we've also kind of are embracing and taking in deep litter methods as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's get into that because I, I think that's really interesting. So, uh, as, as you've already mentioned, you you have a, a background in composting with the nursery, and and you were you providing compost, providing good soils for people to do their their gardening with. So, uh, taking that expertise and that experience, and now you've got pigs out on pasture or in woodlot. How how has that evolved into kind of how you're operating your pigs now? So what it's looking like is that, you know, we're, we've, we've decided first off to do retail only sales, right? And so we're not going after restaurants to do carcass sales or anything like that. So our production can be a lot lower. Um, we, we were selling piglets to some farms and we kind of made the decision to go ahead and, and just keep the piglets for us. If we have extras, we'll sell those piglets, but you know, with, um, some labor challenges on the farm, you kind of have to pick with, you know, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. So we're pretty much just firing for ourselves. And so, you know, we're only going to be maintaining right now about six hours, um, which is going to be, you know, plenty of piglets for us to direct market retail, retail cuts. And then we don't really offer half and whole retail. It's just all retail cuts. And so we're not dealing with a, a huge volume of the pigs. So we're, we're going to have the sows. We're, we, we still want to do outdoor farrowing right and so we still want to have pigs that are going to be really good moms that are going to be able to be outside farrow outside you know with you know with us giving them hay and all the things that they do need um and and we're going to rotate them in the wooded areas and when it comes to the piglets at weaning we're going to go ahead and we're going to catch those guys up and we're going to put them in a hoop house we've got uh two 20 foot by 100 foot hoop hoop arms that we're using right now and um you know, because we, we still are in the garden soil composting business, we have a lot of waste stream coming in uh, to, to serve as bedding, you know, so we don't have to buy the bedding necessarily. And I just love composting. You know, a lot of people are familiar with, you know, Joel Salatin's, you know, the pigarated pork, you know, throw the corn down and the, you know, every every couple of weeks or whatever, you know, for the cows and then, and then pull the cows out and throw the pigs in. You know, we're really not doing that type of method. Um, but we do start with a deep litter of organic matter. Um, you know, we get in, you know, wood chips and a couple other things like that to the farm. You know, the other product that we get in is we actually get coffee grounds by the ton every week. And so that makes a really cool bedding. So you get like the wood chips, you get the coffee grounds, you get, and we also buy up every rotten round bale we can get our hands on for a good price. And so we're heavy hay in that system. Um, and then we also work with a couple groups where we get cardboard cardboard boxes and we'll throw that in there and pigs love it i mean they 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 like they don't eat the cardboard boxes but they certainly play i mean you throw in um you know a pickup truck load of boxes into a group of pigs and they're torn up like by the end of the day and so and of course that's carbon right Right. and so you throw all that stuff in there combined with their manure and urine and, and at the end of it it's it's some of the best compost that you can ever put on pasture it's full of weed seeds from the hay but that's cool because we're putting those we're putting this material in areas of the farm that really needs the help so if we can put this material down on top of pasture we pretty much have growth right away and so that is a way where the pigs can be more active in the the healing of the land so to speak and not creating wallows where where we don't want them so we really want to utilize the pigs as a tool yeah wow that that that's great and man you You've, you've got all kinds of questions popping up in my head here now. So, so let, let's drill down a little bit more on that if we could. So you, you, you put the piglets after weaning in the hoop houses. 
and uh, you said they were 20 by 100 so that's obviously pretty substantial so how have you set those up explain to our, our listeners a little bit how you set up those hoop houses to make sure that they you know, they obviously don't destroy the the building itself you know the, you know, the rub rails all those type of things and then just kind of talk about the flow of material and the timeline associated with that yeah so no great question we're and we're working with that right now we're about to so the hoop arms we've actually bent ourselves so everything's built out of fencing top rail we bought a hoop ender um, and so we the sides right now are, uh, are sheet metal you know about three feet up and so they can rub against that pretty good um, the building is pretty stout so they're really not going to mess with the building that way we don't have any center posts in there right now to hold the, the hoop down and i was a little worried about doing that with them rubbing on having them you know be able to run on that full access and so and then in there we have a you know pretty standard you know metal hog feeder and then we have a brower you know style you know hog drinker in there so they've got the drinker in there they've got the hog feeder in there um, we typically ration feed so we're not giving them full choice feed i mean we want to you know, regulate their growth a little bit. So we're not going to be putting a feed to them, you know, extremely hard 24 seven. And then the one thing that I haven't done that I'm going to be doing very, very soon is that we're going to be putting in a uh, handling facility at the entrance of the barn mm. that if you can, uh, so we, we do have some small tractors and like 30 horsepower tractors, but our big workhorse piece of equipment is Bobcat on the farm. Right. So I want to be able to drive the Bobcat into a section, close the gate behind me, open up the gate in front of me, and drive into that that hoop. And then we can also use that front area when we want to pull pigs out of there. Uh, then I can pull off six or eight pigs out of the group, and then we can load them onto the the trailer, do whatever we need to do with them. So, so it's going to be uh, the the main thing that I'm adding to it is going to be a handling facility at the front of the hoop uh, to make it a little bit different. It's got to be able to accommodate the equipment, so I can drive the equipment in when the pigs are out and muck that muck it out and then windrow that material uh to age it before we apply it out to pasture um we are playing with how long we leave the pigs in there right now it you know it's like um so kate's my wife she's a the, my business partner in it and you know we're we're trying to figure out like a checklist of to help us decide when we rotate the pigs and so the items on the checklist would be you know what is the weather like you know um, how much staff do we have at this time um, how long away are our processing dates and so based upon the the real-time scenario of you know whether people processing availability is how long we'll leave them in that hoop house ideally what we would do is um, you know with our trailer I like bringing in about eight pigs at a time to our processor when we bring them in and so you know we're playing with the idea of pulling eight out of the hoop house you know, maybe a month before processing if the weather is right for us and then rotating them to where we can do a, a, an outdoor finishing, so to speak, before we bring them to the processor. So, so to answer your question on the timeline, it depends. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to put that system in place just to help us make decisions because, you know, I mean, look, we've all been there, right? We were, um, we're, you know, we got the pigs out, the weather gets bad, and we're short-staffed, right? So it kind of turns into, a, you know, I mean, a, a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And so, and then it's like, that's when it really, like, is not fun having pigs, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, because, you know, you move them and then they just create 
you know, a, a mess right on the next grid, wherever you move them into, you know, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Where am I putting these pigs? It's not going to, it's not raining for a week and it's like forecast to rain for four more days or whatever. And so we're trying to, we're trying to create a decision-making system with the pigs to where um, we're happy, they're happy, and then we're not, we're not, you know, cratering the farm, so to speak. If that if that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, no, that's good, and that, and I, I can definitely concur with that. You know, in, in winter time where we are, where we don't have a hard freeze, but we get you know, forty five and rainy is our typical uh, January and February. So, and we have a lot of slopes. So it's just one of those right. one of the things where we have to I have to battle the same thing. It's like what what's the sacrificial area right now for for my pigs and and that's why I don't like having a large herd at that time. I like to just have my breed set at that time because they're not doing as much damage. Yeah, because you're on slope, you're probably like you're facing erosion issues, I would imagine, oh, right? Yeah. And that yeah. Big yeah. Time. Yeah. Big, yeah. Yeah, I I've got a I've got to imagine what slope is. <laughs> we're, 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 we're about as flat on our piece as you can get. And so, um, ponding happens for us and then erosion kind of happens for you. Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, uh, you got to look at all that context for sure. So ex- explain, let's, let's drill down just a little bit more if you don't mind it. Cause I'm, I'm picturing this in my head. So, the two hoop houses, are you using those simultaneously or is it a rotation process? Almost like a composting toilet you know, where they're in one and then you let it lay fallow and they move to the next. Right, right. You know, we're, we're no, we're going to rotate them. So, you know, we can't go in and, I don't know, to, to go in and muck the pigs out while they're in a hoop house is kind of a non-starter, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we could pull them out, you know, and then put them in a grid like nearby the hoop house while I maybe change that bedding out. But, for the most part, I really want to go back from we're having, we have not started this, but the, the idea is that we're going to use hoop house one. And then once we get up to the right height where we want that material to be, you know, we're going to pull them out and they're going to go into hoop two. Right. And then that's going to have that, the fresh initial bedding in there. Um, and then when we go in to hook out, muck out hoop two, um, I'm considering even putting another animal in there in some way, shape or form um, after we muck it out just to kind of break that disease cycle a little bit. So we're, yeah, we want to be very cognizant about, you know, having disease build up and, and having worms build up and things of that nature. So the idea behind having those two hoop houses is to kind of go back and forth and, and give give them a break for sure. Yeah. Now, are these are these uh, translucent hoop houses? Are they are are the shade? I would imagine it, it could get pretty pretty warm down there in Louisiana if this is like a true greenhouse setup. Yeah, yeah. So we so they you know tip it, we can drop the sides the plastic to where if it's really storming you know we don't get rain blowing in through the side. Um, we went with a and I do want to change this up. Of course, you know we all we all live and learn you mm-hmm. know with this. And so we started with a, a white six mil uv you know protected um uh greenhouse plastic that we got from farm tech and so um i love farm tech sometimes because they have a little steals and deal section so you can get quote unquote like damage covers you know for pretty cheap anyway so so that's what we did with those just to play around with what we wanted to go with i think ideally i would do a um the the six mil white 
and then throw on a shade cloth on top of that mm. is what I is what I think our ideal is. Now we put the hoop houses in in, in shade. So we did get take the risk and say, all right, let's put the hoop houses, you know, by by some trees. So we're gonna have that that natural shade and that natural cold air blowing in. Um, obviously the risk is trees, you know, the branches dropping on the hoop house, which right. I don't like to think about, <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, but there, I knew that you're right. You're exactly right. You know, having a mountain open and full sunlight, you know, for us in the summer and then late spring, summer and early fall, it's just, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And so, so they're a natural shade, um, on top of them having that, that, that white plastic. And so, um, so that's what we're doing right now to kind of help control the, and they've got airflow. So the front and backs are open. Yeah. So we got full airflow blowing in, you know, from, from the front and back and from side to side and then with the natural shade. So, so right now it's working out pretty good. Yeah. You kind of get a wind tunnel effect there with that. That's so, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, uh, and, and, and maybe this isn't an issue, but how do you, how do you manage moisture inside the hoop house for you know, the best composting i mean do you have to introduce water is it the urine enough what do you do to help promote that breaking down yeah you know the pigs are you know the the pigs are supplying plenty of moisture i'm not really so much going for super active composting mm-hmm. while the pigs are in there gotcha. right um um there's a, a book holy shit it's a great book on the Norpax, <laughs> and I, if you haven't read it, buy it, get it, and, and, and have it and read it, you know, once a year, and I really enjoy that book, and so we're just looking to kind of keep, we're looking to keep the odor down, right, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're looking to, to absorb all the urine, and we're looking at, to make it just a very pleasant place that I want to walk into, scratch the pigs, show people, hey, this is deep litter, and um, and keep the bigs kind of clean, you know. So, I'm not I'm not going to add any moisture to it. And of course, with water, um, if there's a moisture point that they can get to, the pigs are going to start immediately wallowing yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that spot. And so, um, Kate was uh, I came across Kate. She had the hose out and she was spraying the pigs down in the hoop house because that you know I mean who doesn't like spraying the pigs down? And so you go no, don't do that, don't do that. You <laughs> they're going to start wallowing, right? right in that spot you know and so uh so anyway so we're not adding water to it um they're adding plenty of moisture i want a real slow fermentation anaerobic style um you know a breakdown occurring in that manure pack because whenever as soon as i pull it out with the equipment and i windrow it um it's going to start it's going to start composting very good i mean it's going to heat up it's going to do what it needs to do um to get to a point where I'm going to be happy to apply it to pasture. And again, we're not composting it to be um, customer ready. Right. And so like when we compost, you know, to sell to people, vegetable gardens, you know, we got to make sure there's no weed seeds in it. You know, it's got to go through all the proper heat cycles, you know, things of that nature. But, yeah. you know, with this, we're, we're taking, um, we're taking a very laid back approach to the composting cycle with that. Okay. So, so when you're windrowing, you're, you're bringing it outside of the structure and you're windrowing it out in the open. That's right. Yeah, we'll stockpile in a windrow. Um, you know, make it make it easy logistics. You know, windrow it. You know, very close to the hoop house. We'll let it break down right there, and then once it's kind of broken down, because you know it's very thick. That hay creates such a um, has such high tensile strength. You know, when you go into it with the equipment, um, it's just it's just hard on the equipment. And yeah. so, 
So I'd rather windrow it, let all that stuff break down, and then we'll um, we've got a little dump bed on our pickup truck, and so we'll we'll load it into the pickup truck and then drive it out, you know, to the pasture and then and apply it. And so that's how we're handling. I want to I want to minimize every you know every time you touch it, it costs you money, and sure. so and that's one of the biggest things whenever people ask me about composting advice. I go, you make sure you get your um, your handling procedure down because that's just expensive, you know drivers on the equipment you're paying for the equipment and uh you got to pay attention to that for sure so it's interesting you bring up cost so, so let's look at this and, and i know you're there's there's more reasons than just cost that uh, that affect the you know, why you do composting you know the the, the moisture the the rainfall and all that type of stuff. so would you, if you had to compare you know dis, despite the the wear and tear on the pasture would you say the infrastructure cost you have for the uh, the two hoop houses and that setup, is it exponentially more than what you would if you had to had to put them out on pasture and establish background fencing and all that type of stuff? Um, I I, I don't think it. So I, I can't speak for what the prices are now. <laughs> of right, course, right, they, yeah. you know, right. And so, will we put up the the thirty? I'm sorry. So it's twenty foot by hundred foot, right? It cost us about. Um, all material in, not including labor, it and with the cover, it was about like twenty eight hundred bucks or three thousand bucks to do that structure. So we have two of those, right? Um, I, I I think it's kind of money in the bank, right? Because you've got a structure there that if you say, all right, well, we're only going to have pigs in it for six months of the year. You can easily convert it to another structure, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can, you can do whatever, right? You can park equipment in it. You can use it for hay, seasonal hay storage. I mean, so you, you, you have that structure, um, on the per square foot basis, that structure is extremely cheap. Right. And I, and I would assume that even though buying that material now would probably be more like five or six thousand dollars from what i'm hearing i have not priced out you know fencing top rail or or hoop houses what i understand they've jumped up quite a bit right and so but if you compare that to the current uh prices of like let's say a pole barn or you know other structures it's still it's still money in the bank as far as i'm concerned i mean it i think it's you can break them down i mean i could break that thing down and then i can create you know, a couple more hoop houses, you know, out of, instead of having like a 20 foot by hundred foot, I can go, you know what, I think we need, um, you know, a couple of 20 foot by 20 foot structures. And so all that stuff can be broken down and rebuilt in different ways. Um, you can't rebend the hoops, right? So you're kind of married to that, that 20 foot wide hoop with that. Um, but I, I personally think as far as costs go, I mean, I've never gotten our money out of those hoops. And so, you know, with our weather and rainfall, you take all that in, it creates a, uh, you know, it's a pleasant environment, you know, when it, when it's just gross outside and the pigs are inside and they're dry right. and then you can go in, you can handle them dry. I mean, there's a lot to say for, you know what, it's nasty outside, but it's pretty comfortable in here. And I, I don't know what price I would put on that, but I would put a high, uh, a high price on being able to do that for sure. Yeah. Or high, not a high price, but a rather high value. High value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's like quality of life for the farmer as much as it is for the pigs. <laughs> That's right, and and I've had some I've had some discussions with some other pig folks about that because you know we, you know with within regenerative ag, ag you know we're we're very idealistic folks, right? And we really want 
to rotate the animals and move them around. We really, really want to do that. Like that's, that's what we want to do. Um, you know, but we have to say, Hey, what, what's the reality of the situation? You know? And so I, you know, using the buildings, um, you know, with, with really good intent, you know, with, with a lot of foresight and say, look, this, we're going to use this building, not as the rule, like as keeping pigs under roof all the time, but it's definitely a tool in the toolbox that I, I think people really should consider, especially if you've got a climate where, um, you know, having the pigs out is actually going to be the opposite of regenerative, right? It's causing erosion, it's creating a lot of ponding, and at the end of the day, it's just going to hit you in a pocketbook, right? Because you got to go out and fix that, right. you know, or repair that, or you're unhappy and you're, you're just not enjoying yourself. So all those things you need to take into consideration for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mitigation costs can just keep adding up and it's tough to get in front of that. All right. Well, I, I, I want to be sensitive to your time and I know we've got um, another key topic we want to talk about. And for those of you listening, Grant, Grant has, uh, you know, a business background as well, and and obviously being you know, you know several decades now into this experience, he is uh, partnering up with Joel Salatin and, and Tom Ziegler for a conference later this summer, and I'm gonna let him talk about all that. So, uh, so Grant, tell tell us about the conference and then why you think it's important for uh, this conference to take place right now. Well, you know, it's. Um it's really important subject matter and with you know with us in the direct-to-consumer you know farming world you know at the end of the day we need to we need to be focused on on people right and and we're people so you got to focus on yourself you got to focus on your customers and your vendors and your staff and your employees and and a lot of times and and look i'm you know um this is like a conversation this isn't a lecture because i make the same mistakes myself um, we sometimes get caught in that trap of production and, you know, trying to get the farm bigger and, um, Hey, I want to buy this tractor because I can do this with it. You know, we, we love equipment, you know, we love adding acres to the farm, right? We love saying that, uh, we're producing 30 pigs a year. Now, next year I want to be producing 60 pigs. And so we really get caught up in that progress and, and when it comes to the direct to consumer or the homestead you know, farming genre, you know, we end up getting kind of caught up in a, in, in a lot of traps, right? So like burnout right now is probably uh, number one. Um, overproduction, I would, I would put as, a, as an issue, you know, we're, we're producing more chicken than what we can sell at the price that we need to sell it for. And so the stuff that, that we're going to be talking about at Polyface in August is going to be, um, you know, how to communicate with people, how to build your team, how to lead your team, um, how to set strategic goals. And, and I think that for a, a farm wanting to grow and kind of, you know, create that tipping point, it's, it's really, it's really the material that you need to add to what you're doing right now. Yeah, that's good. So, so in your experience, what you've seen when, when people do, and I've, I've heard exactly what you said, like, I mean, we've done 84 interviews, and I would say half of them, the exact same discussion. It's like, yeah, this year we did X. Next year we're going to do X times two or X times three because we're, we're really seeing that market grow. We want to take advantage. You know, you've only got so many seasons in your, your farming career to be able to do this. So people seem to be very, very ambitious, 
So how, how do you advise or, or, or how are you guys planning to advise people to, to approach that, to say when is it too much or when's enough en- enough? What, what kind of tools are you going to provide? You know, so, you know, kind of like look at, you know, so this genre is like self-improvement. It's kind of like self-help, right? And, you know, I, I joke that sometimes people would rather get caught in the uh, adult book section at the, at the bookstore versus the self-help section, you know, of the bookstore, you know, because it, it I mean, look, I, I'll be honest with people. A lot of the self-help genre, it can come across as kind of cheesy. You know, you got people going, you know, saying that they're, oh, I'm a life coach and all this kind of stuff. Right. So there is there is some stuff that I even roll my eyes at. Right. And so but the big picture of this type of material is basically I like to break it down this way. You know, you need to work on you know, yourself, you need to set your goals, you need to select the team that's going to, the people around you that are going to help you achieve those goals. And then after you select those folks, you need to lead them. So you need to select your team and you need to lead your team. I mean, that is the, you know, the big picture of, um, of what we need to do to accomplish whatever it is, you know, you want to do. Right. And, you know, you need to the, going back to your question about the, the production you know, oftentimes, and this is what we do, this is just a, a, a real specific example, is we don't set we don't set production goals at our farm. We set um, goals on how much money we want to make at the end of the year. Mm. And so so what I what Kate and I, you know, we discuss is I mean look, we, we of course want to be filthy rich <laughs> right. You know, but but you know we're we're pretty you know we're pretty conservative, right? So Let's just say, for example, um, you know, it used to be seventy-five thousand dollars was the average take-home salary for to create a a quote-unquote happy life. Like you can pay for a mortgage, you can pay for the kids to go to college, you buy a you can buy a new car. You know what I mean? So that's a that's a that's a a a pretty reasonable goal. Let's say you you know you add inflation into it, and so let's say you want to make eighty-five a year. You know, so a dual-income household is um you know they want to make 85 times two or or whatever you know that's their that's their take home so we ask ourselves a question of you know with our lifestyle and the way that we are we're okay with making that dollar amount as our goal what production do we need to do to get there you know like how many beef how many pigs how many chickens how many cubic yards of compost do i need to sell so we kind of work at it backwards to figure that out and so and that will tell us what we need to do and then it answers a lot of other questions right so we may say oh wait we don't have the land mass you know we don't have the acreage to do that production right well what are, what are we going to do what are our options and so an option may be to work with other farms you know because we're, we're we're pretty good salespeople we like talking with folks and so well let's help other people sell others their stuff and we can make money on that and that can help us get to our financial goal. So we, we kind of reverse engineer a lot of stuff. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah, so we, yeah. So, so production, the production goals are not in our vernacular. We don't really talk about it that way. We say, these are the numbers we want to hit. This is what we want to make per year. This is what we want to pay our staff. You know, those are the, those are our really big questions that we uh, ask for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I like that approach because, I think we all get caught up in production and we think bigger's better. You know, it's all about scalability. If if I made X amount of dollars of profit with 10 pigs, then 20 pigs, it should be even more profitable. And and you know, that's not necessarily the case because of 
these um, these barriers of entry when you scale up to say, well, now I need a bigger piece of this, or I got to buy this uh, more infrastructure to be able to handle that, and and at the end of the year you realize, well, I did more pigs, but I actually lost money in this situation. So, so yeah, I that, like that. That's exact. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because if you track that stuff on a uh, distribution curve, like a classic bell curve, there's a point where you start hitting diminishing return. Yeah, and so you can actually increase your scale but you start decreasing your your profit per pound i mean we we i want to say we see it all the time <laughs> you know i mean but there's not farms that are around us right and they were doing it but in the in the national scheme of the homestead you know direct to consumer genre you know we do see that pretty often you know or folks buy the equipment you know let's say they want to do broilers and they they go to featherman and they buy the whole shoot and match and then they go, oh, wait a minute, I got to do this many birds to pay for yeah. this. And, and I go, well, well, didn't you think about that before you made the purchase, right? And so and, and the, the thing is, is that they just don't. And again, we all do, we all do these mistakes, right? I mean, this is just part of the learning curve. Um, but yeah, we, we see it happen fairly often. And when those things happen, it does create an economic challenge. But the worst thing is that it creates burnout. And then the farmer, you know, then you're looking at um, if it's a husband and wife team that happens so often, you know, it's like our situation, you know, you get into fights, uh, problems at home, everybody's working late, you're not going on vacations, you're not hanging out with your friends and family. And, uh, you know, you end up just getting rid of the farm, you know, or, or worse, right? And so the we, it's not just a, if you're making money or not, it's a, it's a quality of life because if you don't have quality of life, you're going to have a poor quality of work, right? Right. And so it's so important to, to look at those things. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, and that was a question I was going to ask you about teamwork, and, and you kind of already addressed it. But, uh, you know, a lot of us, the, the team is, uh, usually it's a husband and wife team or, or some family member team there, and, and it's, it's kind of tough to say, well, we're going to, I'm going to pick my team. I'm going to get the right people on the bus. And you, you, obviously you can't go to Kate and say, oh, Kate, sorry, you didn't make the cut. So <laughs> you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> but, but balancing your teamwork uh, or your team and your, your private life and your social life. So uh, what have you seen with, with farms like that when it's, when it's time to step outside of just the immediate family that's part of the team and it's time to hire somebody and then how do you even begin to set goals with them or, or you know, manage expectations of an employee? Oh man, it, it, that's such a great question. We're really focused on that right now. So right now we have, uh, uh, not including Kate and myself, we've got six staff. Um, they're, they're all part-time just because that's one reason they want to work for us is because they all have something else going on. You know, they're nanny for a family or they're in school or they have a little part-time business where they're cutting grass or something, you know, whatever. And so the, a, a benefit to them is actually being part-time. So we're actually going through. Uh, so, so what I said about working on yourself, working on your goals, selecting your team, leading your team, you know, part of leading your team in this case, like, so if you drill down on what, what do I need mean by leading your team? It, it's a, it's, you know, we can spend the day on it, but like what we do, the top two things that we do is one, we have conversations with our staff on what their goals are and their person in their personal life. Right. Mm. Because if we are, if we're helping them achieve 
their their some of their personal goals you know they may say well look i only want to work for you for six months i want to get this experience underneath my belt because i'm going to go to graduate school you know and, and next semester i want to get all this and i can you know we're really going to look out for them and we're really going to try to honor that to where they do learn as much as they can while they're with us and so we really had these one-on-one conversations with the staff because if we can help them achieve their own personal goals then they're, I mean, quite simply, they're just going to be better staff. You know, they're going to they're going to be reciprocal, and they're going to also be like, you know what, Grant Cater, looking out for our goals, so I'm going to help them achieve their goals. And so that really is very important. And the second thing is we have to identify the um, the talents and the default personalities of the staff to figure out where we want to place them. And so right now. Kate is going through uh, Strength Finders with all of our staff at the store. So they're all reading the uh, Strength Finders book. Yeah. They're all doing the test to figure out where they are. Uh, strength. There's a couple of models. There's um, there's DISC and there's Emergenetics and a couple of other things. They're all very good. Um, and so you know, there's five you know things that you know five big strengths you know your your main things and so you know we're we're taking that very seriously so they're gonna they're reading the book they're doing the test they're gonna have meetings based upon that there's group exercises based upon that um and there's gonna be a lot of discussion that kate's gonna be doing with our store team with that so i mean and then then you can figure out okay this person's really good at putting the orders together you know this person's really good at checking inventory you know this person if there's a customer who's not happy for some reason, you know, let's let's let this person take it because she's best, you know, she's the most empathetic person that we may have. Let them let me, let them deal with that, you know, solve that problem with that customer. So, so those are the two biggest things: is is one having real conversations with your staff on where they want to go in life, and then two, uh, put them in the right position for them to be successful. And you know, these things are not easy. It takes a lot of proactivity for the employer right. to do these things. And, and I, I kind of get, I'm kind of getting sick and tired of people saying, Oh, you know, uh, people just don't know how to work anymore. They, <laughs> they don't have a work ethic anymore. You know, I was in line at the airport the other day and, uh, two women were talking, they just went on total rant, you know, two strangers, but they bonded over. You just can't find good workers anymore. And I, I, I wanted to do it. I did not, but I wanted to turn to them and I was like, well, there's no good boss, you know, or what about the boss's role? You right. know, we're about the employer's role. Like where, what is the employer doing to really uh, incentivize the folks? And, you know, right now the buzzword is the great resignation mm-hmm. and it's amazing um, how many people I'm running to right now that have left their corporate jobs um, or whatever, because to pursue their, their talent slash passion uh, just because they weren't being appreciated uh, at work. And that would be the third thing I would say with team is you got to show appreciation. And yeah. so those are just, and then, you know, those are the type of things that we'll be talking about uh, at Polyface in August. You know, we're really going to be going deep into to all these areas. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, for, if you're the, you know, if you're the farm owner, um, I mean, these, these things are some of the cheapest economic things that could have the biggest impact on your farm. I mean, it literally costs, you know, dollars, you know, to implement these strategies. Um, and it could just make you thousands of dollars. And so it's very highly effective for sure. Yeah, I, I think, and, and that's a great point. And I, I think 
we all, as small small business owners, we all think in our mind that, well, well I'm great to work for. Why wouldn't anybody want to work for me? And you're getting a paycheck. You know, you agreed to this many dollars an hour. So we all came to terms there. I'm, I'm great to be around. Everybody loves me type of thing as, as a boss. But but then not even realize that you get so blindsided when you know, you're halfway through the season and your employee hits the eject button, just simply says, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm, I'm leaving. Today's my last day. And you're like, wait a minute. Why not? Why? We didn't get a chance to talk about any of this stuff. Yeah. What can I do to convince you to stay? Because you didn't realize what it's going to take to get somebody else in, train them, get them up to speed and all those type of things. And that's where that's where those unintended costs really show up is when you have the turnover on somebody that you really need. And like you said, that investment on the front end could just be dollars, whereas you know, trying to flip somebody there at the, in the middle of the season could cost you thousands of dollars. Oh, there's no doubt. And, you know, again, you know, this is a conversation. We're not, I'm not immune to it by any means. We really went through a very difficult cycle at the farm. I mean, to the point where I, as positive as I am, was really like, oh, you know, Nobody wants to work here. We're not going to be able to find workers. And so I hit a little low point and Kate, you know, Kate's like, no, Grant, come on, you know, you know, shake out of it. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I contacted some folks and I said, Hey, can I write an article for you on how to keep farm staff? And they're like, great. And so I started writing this article. And so as I was writing it, you know, I was kind of encouraging myself and then, and then you read it and I go, I got to listen to myself here. <laughs> right, right? right. And I did. And we found just a, a fantastic worker who's, who's just, I mean, just really working out right now. And so it went from a real low point, but I, you know, I followed the checklist, right? I followed the instructions. And so right, this is how you're going to get yourself out of the hole staff wise. And it, it, um, it works. I mean, it really does. Um, and so it, it's just very powerful, you know, to be able to do that. And, you know, going to what you said about, oh, we're, you know, we're just a small business, you know, a lot of times, you know, small businesses, you know, we kind of get in the habit of bringing, you know, a knife to a gunfight, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that you've got, let's just say like the five big meat packers, you got the big boys, right? They put so much money into corporate training and strategy it's probably insane right and so they're doing the things with their with their 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 managers and their 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 leadership as a whole that's what corporations do corporations put money into this type of training and these kind of policies granted a lot of times it's lip service and it may not be like fully genuine you know but they do put a lot of effort into it and so just because we're small and just because we're farming doesn't mean that we need to talk. It doesn't mean that we don't have to talk about these things and implement these strategies on our farm. And so if we want to, you know, stay relevant in the market, you know, we really need to use these tools. And again, they're, they're very inexpensive, you know, you know, buying books for your crew and asking everybody to read it and then taking some time out for there to be discussion and taking employees to the side one-on-one and, and asking them what they want. I mean, it's, it's in the big picture of, you know, the cost of retraining somebody, just like you said, it's, it's just pennies on the dollar. It's just, it's just such an easy thing to implement, you know, but the thing is, is that in order to implement it, you have to learn about it and then you have to incorporate it into your life. So, you know, to the farmers listening out there, you know, if you don't, if you're not, 
putting together, you know, a written goal list of what your daily, your weekly, your monthly, your annual, your five-year goal, your 10-year goal. If you're not writing those goals down right now, that means that there's a huge amount of improvement that you can do, you know, within your own, um, within your own wheelhouse, so to speak. So there's a, this is a, a huge opportunity to grow your farm through a lot of these strategies for sure. Yeah. And you said something that just has been rolling in my head as you're explaining this is, is a lot of us small farmers probably don't even know what we don't know. So there's an education element here at first. It's like, well, I want to grow. I want to be successful, but I, I don't know what's going to hinder me or I don't know what I need to put in place to assist me. So it's it's like this, this I assume your conference is going to handle this. It's kind of the education of here's what you even need to consider before you can implement. You, you got to know what you don't know. No, that that's exactly right. And, you know, when we first started the farm, when Kate's like, hey, let's do this farm business, I had just sold my shares in a large-scale composting facility at the time. So I was kind of like unemployed, you know, <laughs> and we were trying to figure out what to do. And um, we had been fa- we were fans of Polyface and everything. And I was like, well, look, if we're going to do this, we really don't know this business, right? I mean, so we, let's let's figure this out. So um, I contacted Daniel Salton, you know, it's Joel's son, and he, you know, he's he's pretty close to my age. And, you know, my parents, some of the advice they gave me was uh, find a mechanic your age and a doctor your age, right? <laughs> so you all can learn together the whole, your, your, your like, whole life, right? right and right. so I like finding people my age to learn from, right? And so, um, you know, he didn't do consulting, but they still will do speaking engagements. And he's like, well, we don't, you know, don't, we don't do consulting, we do speaking engagements. And I was like, that sounds fantastic, right? Because I know through experience the things that you learn from people when you're having conversations versus like a formal lecture could be just, I mean, they could just say something and you go, wait, what, what, what did you just say? And you're like, and they're like, oh, I don't know what I said. And I was like, no, you just said something brilliant. <laughs> right, right. And then you're, you're just hanging out, right? And so, um, yeah, so, so anyway, so we put on some seminars at the farm with him, with Daniel, and, you know, we gleaned a lot of that business side, you know, on how they, they operate. And that's what I was really interested in was not so much the their agricultural, you know, processes, but it was it was like, well, how do you run your business? You know, how do you put your teams together? You know, how are you networking with your customers? You know, it's the business part. And we learned so much, and we still do learn so much from them. And so... It is it's very important to, you know, edu- educate yourself beyond the, the agricultural skill set. I mean, that's really what I'm trying to say is, you know, you need to be a good farmer. You need to know ag, you know, but but you also need to know you need to know people. You know, you need to know these things. It's just very it's just extremely vital. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Well, Grant, give us give us the the actual details of the uh, of the conference. So if people are listening, they can can check it out or at least get an idea of, of when and where and how and uh, you kind of the call to action of people that want to uh, to participate in this oh sure so it's um it's taking place at polyface in, in virginia uh this august 5th and 6th it's uh two two all-day seminars uh lunches included um sign up is actually um on polyface's website and i can give you the link so you can put it in the details mm-hmm. and um and anybody can reach out to me i'll also send you the email address where people can contact me and my phone number if anybody has any questions about it and you know if you can't make if you can't make the conference or seminar and if anybody has any questions they can shoot me an email and then i'd be more than happy to kind of guide them on 
you know, a book to read or, or whatever, you know, if they've any, if they got any questions about it, don't be shy. Um, but yeah, so it's this August at Polyface with Tom Ziegler and Joel Salton. I'll be there and, uh, we're, we're hoping to have a good turnout and really looking forward to it. Sounds great. Great. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. I know you've got farm work to do and you may be sucking up a little too much air conditioning right now. You got to get back out in the heat. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so I'm going to let you go and I, I appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate what you're doing with the podcast. All right. Well, you take care. All right. Well, I really appreciate Grant coming on the podcast and sharing all that information with us. And again, as you heard there, the the call to action at the end, that that conference has been canceled. It will be rescheduled. And and as soon as we get dates, we'll uh, we'll share that again as well. Uh, I think it's an interesting conference. I think if it's something that that could resonate with with a lot of us and dealing with business management as we're growing our farms. So um, reach out to Grant. Like I said, I'll leave the contact information below. Reach out to him and just let him know, hey, I would be interested in that. Um, put me on the list when you reschedule, and he, uh, I'm sure, can email you or send you a message to let you know that there's been a date and a spot, a spot has been saved for you if you want to do so. Well, again, if you would like to be on the podcast or you have a topic you would like to address, by all means, reach out to me, Troy at RedToolHouse.com, or you can use the contact form on the PasturedPig.com website or RedToolHouse.com. We still have that one out there as well. So feel free to reach out to me and let me know, and we'll try to get you scheduled. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. I appreciate you taking time to listen. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.